0: All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 549. Jason Lingren is with me and Mario Garza from Symbolic Studies joins us for the first time. This should be interesting. Uh, we're going to open an hour one with ideas around the North Star or the Pole Star. I don't think we've ever covered it to any great degree in any past episode other than offhand mentions. In an hour two, we're going to get into tarot and astrology. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And good morning. All right, I'm hoping Mario's a talker because I have a head cold coming on, although I did just take CDS, so we will see. Uh, welcome, Mario. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's good to have you. I, I love the notes that you've got in front of me. Why don't you take a minute to tell folks where they can find you and your work and make contact if you want to put that out there?
1: Absolutely. People can reach me at symbolicstudies.com, and I'm all over the place, YouTube, Instagram rockfin, things like that. But symbolicstudies.com is the easiest place just to find all of my links and everything I have to offer.
0: All right. It looks like you do tarot readings, private lessons, and it looks like you have a download or two there for folks. Is that correct?
1: Correct. Yeah. So I do private lessons around astrology and the tarot, symbolism, things like that. And I also uh, have a couple of downloadable PDFs, basically correspondence sheets, symbolic study packets, things like that.
0: All right. This is going to be an interesting episode for me, and I'm hoping you can carry on because I do have a head cold. I'm a bit spacey. But as we get into hour two, uh, the tarot is so fascinating. I wish I had more time in my life because that would be one of the things I would dive into. Anyhow, let's open up with the North Star. Uh, Where would you like to jump in?
1: Yeah, well, I've been on this symbolic path for the last 10 or 15 years. I've been a graphic designer for 20 years. And along the way, I became really interested in symbolism. And so I wanted to know more about some of the icons I was working with, some of the basic shapes I was working with. I got interested in color theory. And eventually, I found myself coming across symbolic reference books, symbolic dictionaries and things of that sort. And so I would say it's probably been maybe the last 15 years, I started collecting a pretty decent symbolic library. And as I started diving into that world, I came across a lot of information related to the North Star and uh, the significance of the northern sky. And it was much deeper than I ever expected it to be. And it uncovered a lot of fascinating information for me. So my path is definitely the symbolic path. And I would say that the North Star and the northern sky and its relationship, too, with the northern portion of Earth is extremely significant and it's often very much overlooked. And so a lot of people, modern day symbologists, they attribute a lot of symbolism, the core of uh, specific symbols to the sun. You know, it's more of this solarized sort of concept or even a, a lunar sort of concept. And there's actually something else that I feel like should be understood and integrated because it has given me such a fantastic framework for decoding symbolism and it has to do with the polar tradition or a polar understanding, polar wisdom. And so essentially, there have been many groups that have said that the throne of God essentially exists in the northern sky. And there's a lot of uh, cultures who believe that we came from the north and we return to the north. And there's this interesting sort of relationship again between the northern sky and the northern portion of Earth. And so. It's been understood and has been said many times over that there is a symbolic stairway to heaven that uh, exists and goes towards the northern sky. So it really became just a huge rabbit hole that I felt like I needed to understand. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized that there is just so much there that really spoke to me on a psychological, emotional, spiritual sort of level um, there are a lot of different threads that we can kind of pull at, but that's essentially, you know, my story is just kind of realizing that um, what is happening in the northern sky really can kind of be likened to its own system. So there have been many groups, too, that have looked at the northern sky, in particular, uh, Ursa Major and Minor, which is the big bear and the little bear. And it goes around the North Star counterclockwise And they kind of looked at this system um, as something of a sky clock, a really early primitive sky clock. And so a lot of this stuff was just unknown to me until I really started looking into it. So it has a lot to do with death and rebirth cycles, early sky clocks, you know, it has to do with cosmological models, right? So there's a number of different cultures that believe that the northern sky is essentially kind of the center Of this sort of domain or of this reality, and that everything revolves around this central axis, which is sometimes referred to as the world axis or the axis mundi. And I just became fascinated with it. So, this has been my thing for the last handful of years, where I just started reading as much as I could about it. And I was kind of surprised, to be honest with you, how much material there is out there, how many books there are that um, talk about this symbolism and talk about the mythology. And so I just, I get so much out of it that it's just been my rabbit hole for a little while now.
0: Let's set the stage. So just so people know, uh, if you go outside at night and you look north, uh, I'm just going to tell you how to find the north star. It's not particularly a bright star. As a matter of fact, it's kind of on the dim side. Mm-hmm. Uh, it It never sets. And that's a pretty big deal. You would think that a star, uh, there are a few that never set. They never go below the horizon might be a bigger deal in our culture. And for some cultures, it was a very big deal. But if you find the Big Dipper, most people can. You recognize the ladle handle. It kind of arcs down and it goes to the little ladle cup. Now, at the very end of the ladle cup, there are two stars. One would be the bottom of the ladle cup. One would be the upper lip the farthest away from the handle. If you draw a perfectly straight line, put your thumb and your pinky, extend them as far as you can at arm's length and put your thumb on that top star and line them up. It'll put your right on the North Star. That's roughly, depending on the size of your hand, it's about 25 degrees, I think. That's how you can find it. But, Mari, I wanted to ask you. I had set out some time ago, I thought, why isn't there a unique symbol for the North Star? And as I began to look, I, I was kind of surprised at what I found. And at one point, I was wondering if, like, you know, the compass rose, you know, the little star shape and a compass rose. It almost seemed to me like that might have stood in for it at one point. But where are you at? Do you feel like there is a set symbol that was accepted? for the North Star?
1: That's an excellent question. I actually think there are many symbols that represent the North Star and and this whole entire system, because what I've come to find out, at least from my symbolic perspective, is that there seems to be three major symbolic traditions that I've uncovered for myself, at least. And I'm not the first person to say this. This is kind of a, a thing that people have put forward over the years. And that is that there was a, or currently is actually, a symbolic solar tradition, lunar tradition, and a stellar slash polar tradition, which relates to the pole star. And it appears as though this solar tradition is, is the newest tradition. The lunar tradition maybe preceded the solar. And then the earliest tradition perhaps was the stellar polar tradition. And so it seems as though there has been a shift where a lot of symbols that were attributed to the North Star and the world axis, the pole star, actually became solarized over time. And so in today's world, people may look at a symbol and assume it's a solar symbol, but in actuality, it's a polar symbol. So one example of this is the circumpunct. So the Godhead, the circle with a dot right in the middle. We associate this with the sun, but it's my understanding that that symbol was once a polar symbol, and it indicated the pole star, which is right in the middle. And then the circle around it actually indicates the heavens that revolve around the central star,
0: which actually fits better. Right. I mean, I mean, what you're saying. So if you go online right now, everybody listening and you do a search for a pole star stars, uh, you'll see all these images where someone pointed a camera at the pole star held the shutter open and you can see all the stars spiraling around it. Which is why I'm all about what you're saying, because it really would represent the pole star better than it does the sun.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly.
0: Unless you wanted to make everyone think that the sun was the center of everything.
1: Correct. Correct. (laughs) Exactly. That's, that's been the shift is from, from what I gather a polar to a solar shift. And so another symbol that I think lines up with this would be the quartered cross, which is the cross inside of a circle and that a lot of people today, if you look in modern symbolism books, they're going to say that this is a um, solar cross, but I actually think it may be a polar cross. There's a really fascinating um, sort of correspondence with the cross in and of itself and how it relates to the northern sky. So X marks the spot. This kind of relates to this idea that the northern sky is kind of the point of ascension. So it would be in the middle of that cross. Another example And I don't think exclusively this is a stellar, you know, North star symbol. But if you look at older compass roses, as you kind of just mentioned, or older compasses, they actually indicated north with a fleur-de-lis. And so there's a whole weave. There's a whole rabbit hole linking the fleur-de-lis, which is the symbol, the French symbol, right? Uh, People might know it as the symbol for the New Orleans Saints. Um, That symbol has long been associated with the north, and all you have to do is do another Google search and look for an old compass rose, and you'll see that you know south, east, and west are uh, indicated with an arrow or uh, just a pointer, but north is indicated with a fleur-de-lis.
0: Right, and we should also mention it's been claimed, and I heard this recently again and thought about it, there used to be a time when the rising sun oriented the map. So instead of having north up on all maps, apparently it was a tradition at one point to have the eastern edge up. But I've always wondered if there is a relationship to the compass rose shape, uh, the simpler ones, not the ones with like lots of little tines, star tines, but maybe five or six of them, maybe even four of them. Have Mm -hmm. you run into that compass rose uh, standing in as a symbol for the north star?
1: I believe so. I mean, where does the compass point toward? Right. It points towards the north. And so to me, the north star is the star of stars. There is no other star like it. And anywhere you look in the heavens, right, excluding the um, wandering stars, any star you look at in the heavens is revolving around this central axis, around this central point. So even as an example, you know, um, I was talking to someone the other day about Texas and the, uh, the state motto. Right. It's the lone star state. And so on their flag, it's a lone star. And to me, I just start seeing pole star symbolism all over the place. So it makes sense to me that the lone star would be the North Star.
0: Is it stated? Is it stated what the North Star is supposed to be? Do they state somewhere in the state information? Do they make a claim to what star the lone star is supposed to be? I
1: don't believe so. I'm I'm not sure. I haven't looked into that side of things.
0: I, I always kind of figured it was probably the blazing star, but go ahead, which would be serious. But go ahead. That's Masonic.
1: Well, that's really interesting you bring that up, actually, because there are Masonic lodges that have a brilliant star on the top of the lodge ceiling and right around it are the 12 signs of the Zodiac. And there's one lodge in particular that I'm thinking of in London, and it has a ladder going towards that star. And they actually publicly acknowledge that this is the North Star that it's not serious. And Mm -hmm. so there are Masonic lodges that acknowledge that the blazing star on top of their ceiling, if they have one, is the North Star. And this kind of goes into the idea that what they're trying to recreate is they're trying to create like a microcosm of the cosmos. And so they want their magical workings and things like that to reverberate out through the universe. And so there's this as above, so below relationship that I think they're trying to create. And so when you see a dome, as an example... You know, the very top, the upper portion of that dome is where the North Star would be. And so I see a lot of symbolism with the dome as it relates to the heavens. This is kind of a classic sort of interpretation too. the Freemasons, right? They they associate the compass with the heavens and the square with Earth. And you'll notice that a compass to draw a circle, you have to plant one end of the compass down. This would be the world axis. And even the hinge of the compass on top, sometimes they've put an eye in that hinge, the Freemasons have. And that hinge is actually symbolic of the North Star. It represents the North Star. So I think a lot of traditions, personally, I think a lot of uh, esoteric traditions and a lot of spiritual traditions, it's very veiled. It's really layered. But a lot of the symbolism actually goes back to this still point in the heavens, uh, back to the pole star which has been looked at as being an eternal star. And so this is one of the things that's really important to kind of understand. There's a transcendental quality to the pole star, because as you mentioned earlier, it's always there. And so it doesn't move like the other stars, right? Even the sun comes and goes every single day. So there's many myths about the sun dying and going to the underworld. But night after night after night, you can look in the northern sky and you will see the pole star and it's stationary. And my understanding is too, is that 90% of humanity can actually see these Northern stars. They can see the pole star and they can see the circumpolar constellations, um, Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, the dippers. And this includes like India and China and a bunch of other, you know, huge countries with a huge population. So 90% of humanity has been able to see these stars. So I think there's really good reason on why they've been revered and why they've attributed their gods having come from there. There's multiple myths about seven sages coming from the north in India. They were known as the seven rishis. They publicly acknowledge this is part of the tradition that they uh, essentially are emblematic of Ursa Major and the seven stars. There's another group of seven sages, uh, Sumerian fish gods called the Apkalu. And it's the same sort of idea that there are seven stages that come from the north sages, and they bestow wisdom upon humanity and things of that sort. So a lot of culture's supreme deity is actually a northern deity, from my understanding of things.
0: You know, it's interesting to consider what you're saying, because if it's true that they imposed the globe model and we see we can go back in really old European art to see when the globe starts showing up, you could imagine exactly what you said, where the circumpunct or the circle dot, as it's typically called, which symbolizes the sun in our time, would have been shifted over. So if they were truly trying to make you think about our world incorrectly when they implemented the globe model, it would make perfect sense that they would take the focus off the pole star. And just so people listening, I was going to ask you, do people have a view all the way down into the Southern Hemisphere? I think David Weiss could answer that question. I'm not sure if you can. But theoretically, if you were allowed to go to the North Pole and you stood, the North Star would be right above your head, straight up. But do you know if people down into the Southern Hemisphere can see the Pole Star or the surrounding stars?
1: They cannot. And I've asked my good friend, Elsie King, who has been on the show multiple times, right? He lives in Australia about this question. And I'm like, is there a Southern equivalent here? What do people in the South think about all of this? And he's all about it. He loves it. This is when we talk privately. This is what we talk about is all of this information. So someone in the South who can't even see these stars, he understands the relevance of this information. And he's done a lot of research regarding this
0: as well. We've had him on and I've always loved Lucas's work, but I've got to ask, and I don't know if you and I are going to differ. So I'll state what I do not accept to be correct. Sure. We have been told that the pole star changes. I don't accept that. And there's a lot of reasons why I don't accept that. Uh, I don't know. What is it? Thuban? Is it Thuban? I don't know. I've forgotten the names of the stars that are supposedly about to be the pole star in the future and have been in the past. Do you accept that in the past, Polaris was not the pole star? Do you accept that in the future, it will not be the pole star?
1: I don't have a hardline stance, but personally, I think that it makes more sense that it's always been the pole star. And that's another reason why I think that it is underappreciated to be honest with you too i think that there's been a long-term sort of campaign against northern symbolism against the pole star um and i think that there's a lot of information out there that's incorrect about this you know what we live in and, and how things work up there and everything else but these days personally yeah i i'm inclined to think that it's always been the same which really i mean that means that its relevance and significance And everything that kind of is attributed with it, it, it's even more magnified. You know, if it's always been the exact same star, that's huge on on so many different levels. And it makes even more sense, all of the myths and the mystical sort of qualities of it, about it being this eternal, imperishable sort of star. It adds way more relevancy to all of that. So, no, I, I, I don't think that it's changed personally, but I need to do more research.
0: It takes a lot of the, I don't want to say supernatural, but the mystic quality. If someday that star can set, right, then it's really a, I think you, you've you hit on a thing. When I started looking for the symbol for the pole star, I began, and I saw, I found the circumpunct, and that's when I began to realize, did they simply take all the focus off the North star? And as they did with so many things, religions make it sun centric and as they were taking, trying to erase a full-spectrum view of our world vis-a-vis the sky clock, and we're not going to have Mars temples, Jupiter temples, it's all going, 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 gone, now as we have the sun, by the way, now we have the Vatican, you're not allowed to worship the sun anymore. To me, it was a full-spectrum view of all the energies at one point. They did not consider them gods as we would consider a god, and slowly, the way we view thing was crunched down, crunched down, crunched down, crunched down, and then it became overwhelmingly sun-centric. So it would not surprise me in the least if the sun replaced the North Star. And by the way, how is it that we can still look up that the circumpunct was related in some way? That tells you something.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Correct. Yes. No, I love what you're saying. It's really fascinating to me that one, one of the things that I've uncovered in my research is that there's another classification of deity that goes way um, you know, it, it's overlooked, it's underappreciated, people don't even realize it exists. And it is the polar deity. There are polar deities, there's polar gods, and a lot of these gods that were more polar in nature, related to the pole star and the world axis, became solarized over time. And so I would say for me personally, uh probably. One of the deities that people can do research on, and if you have this sort of understanding, this lens to look through, you're going to see the signatures of polar symbolism and polar wisdom all over the place. And that is actually Hermes Mercury. And so Hermes Mercury is associated with the phallus. He is uh, androgynous. So he kind of represents the middle path or the middle way. He's holding that caduceus, right, which has the twin serpents wrapped around it. And you'll notice that the Caduceus actually a lot of times has this bulb at the very end of it. And I understand this to be actually the pole star at the end of the pole. And so he goes between realms and realities, and he does this via the world axis uh, with this bridge, this stairway to heaven. And so a lot of mercurial symbolism actually has to do with the pole star. There are overt polar deities in other cultures, too. Um, Miyokin in in Japan, he's a known pole star deity. He's often shown with a brilliant star or a silver star. And this is actually the pole star. This is publicly acknowledged to be the case. In India, there's a deity named Durva, and uh, they are also a pole star deity. There's uh, in Egypt, Ptah actually. So most people today would see Patam. He's standing very upright. He has a shaved head, but he has this uh, staff right in front of him. And actually, the staff in and of itself represents the world axis as well. And so he's standing very upright and vertical. People today think he's a solar deity. He's actually a polar god. So there has been this transition from polar to solar, um, as you're mentioning. And I think it's probably more accurate to say, actually, that we live in a polar system and not a solar system that this has been the flip, um, on so many different levels. So it's just, it's the gift that keeps on giving this lens, even uh, Santa Claus as well. Where does Santa come from? He comes from the North. You know, I think when you put a star on top of, you know, your Christmas tree, I think you're putting the pole star on top of the world tree, Mm. you know, this, this world axis, It relates to the world tree. So world tree symbolism, toroidal symbolism is kind of baked into this whole entire study as well. And Santa is kind of like the closest thing we have to a supreme deity in pop culture, I would say. And the fact that he comes from the north and uh, he has his reindeer, he generally has eight reindeer Uh, The number seven and the number eight relates to the northern sky. This has kind of been a traditional thing. The seven stars of Ursa Major or Ursa Minor or the seven stars of Ursa Major and the pole star. So the number seven and the number eight, I've come across many, many times with different groups that have this polar sort of understanding, and they attribute both numbers really significantly to the north. So I think Santa Claus is, is a good example of a northern polar deity.
0: Satan's claws. He comes down the fireplace as well and wears red. <laughs> right. So it's been a bit more, but yeah, I'm with you. I've always wondered about the star on the top of the tree, but it seems to me there's biblical references to the Northern sky. Mm-hmm. I hope I don't get this wrong. I'm all spaced out. Cause I'm getting a little bit sick, but I think it's in the book of Job. Are you with me? Do you know where I'm going here? And it references the stars, which I think would be the bears I might Mm. be messing this up. Maybe I should back off this till
1: till I'm
0: feeling better. But I think there's a biblical reference to the northern stars when they're talking in the vicinity of where they're talking about Maseroth. So if I'm not mistaken, they inform us in the Bible that the Pleiades give us sweet influences. I would urge everyone, get on a search engine, look up the Pleiades for someone who's done astrophotography, and there's a like a reflection nebula. It's a beautiful, beautiful blue. It almost looks like someone scratched the firmament. When you see the nebula, you'll see the, the reflection nebula in front of the Pleiades. They have informed us of Orion's belt. Uh, they mentioned Maseroth, which I think is typically taken to be the zodiacal constellations, but I think there's another reference to what ends up being the bears. I might be wrong here. Are you aware of any of that? I am aware of the bear reference. I'm not exactly sure where it's
1: located, but I've come across that before. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the dippers, right? Ursa Major Minor, the great bear and the little bear. Those dippers, by the way, have been associated with so many things over time. And so most people know them as these vessels, these two dippers that go around the pole star. You're mentioning the bear correspondence. They've been looked at as plows as well. That's a really common reference is that it's two plows going around the North Star. They've also been um, looked at as wagons or chariots as well. And also uh, phalluses has been a thing. Um, In Egypt, they were seen as several things, actually. One would be the thigh of the bull. So there's actually a lot of bull symbolism related to the north as well, which I think is interesting. Sometimes it's referred to as the thigh of Set. And so if you look at the Dendera Zodiac, right, you'll see that there's this bull's thigh in the northern portion of the sky. And this is actually Ursa Major. They've been looked at as swords, many, many different things over time. And that's kind of been one of the side sort of rabbit holes for me is just, um, trying to decode and understand all of the various dipper correspondences because there are many, uh, deer sailors. They've been looked at as seven sailors as well. And so it just kind of goes on and on and on and on.
0: I think there's a relation to King Arthur people had done, and everyone's aware of the mythical King Arthur, the name Arthur in some of the breakdowns I saw. And what's the key star? Is it Arcturus? Mm. But anyhow, I think there's a relationship between the idea of a bear and King Arthur, if I'm not mistaken, as well.
1: Correct. Absolutely. Right. So the round table, to me, this feels like a northern reference, <laughs> you know.
0: Right. And 12, 12 nights, of course. Right. You, you've got the zodiac laid out right around it.
1: 100 percent. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so this is uh, the Ark, actually. Uh, so the AR of Arthur, the AR of the Arctic being the north you know mm. ar and arc even uh the system up there has also been likened to like an arc so it's been called the celestial ship of the north as well and so uh there's lots of watery symbolism going on up there but you're absolutely correct so uh ar and e are uh, actually so like ursa both of those phonetic sort of hints are are to me references of the north from what i've gathered
0: yeah. And actually, I spaced a little bit. Arcturus is the big recognizable star in Boetes. Uh It's spelled boots. Most people say boots, but right. I think it's supposed to be bootes We're more than halfway through and we've kind of wandered off your points and I don't want to miss anything. I feel like we didn't touch on the third one very well there. You want to pick up there? Do you want to do the stairway to heaven?
1: Yeah, sure. So to me, this is a, a really fascinating sort of uh, tangent here. This idea that there is a sort of gateway or portal or bridge to the northern sky. And so, as I mentioned already, toroidal symbolism plays its part in all of this. And so the middle part of a torus field, there's that opening, it's that hyperbola, right? And so you can almost imagine that the North Star and the world axis has a relationship with the central part of this torus field. And this would be the opening. And so uh, there's this book that I have called uh, The Isis Thesis by this woman named Judy K. King, and she has done a lot of interesting work as it relates to Egyptology and decoding hieroglyphic works of art. And essentially what she says, according to her decoding, she says that the Egyptians had an understanding that your soul goes to the north upon death. And uh, you'll see the same thing in the Bach saga as well, that upon death, that your soul goes to the northern sky. And she says that there was this understanding that the opening of earth basically at the north was likened to a horn of a great bull and that your soul goes towards the north. Sometimes there's there's this idea that your soul actually circumambulates, that it spirals towards the northern sky and it exits out of this hole, right? And from what I understand is actually what they're referencing is the whole of the magnetosphere at the North, which is what is responsible for the Northern lights phenomenon. And so even under normie science, right, there's a magnetosphere around earth. So, uh, but there's this opening at the North at the North pole. And, uh, this is what they're referencing. And so there's even been this idea that the lights of the Aurora Borealis, um, our souls, you know, ascending to the afterlife. And so this is kind of the thing is that the stairway to heaven is also the stairway to the underworld. So you're going to find that there's a number of cultures and groups that have this concept that the underworld is actually at the Northern sky as well. And so the kind of correspondences in mythology, uh, you're going to see, you know, things related to uh, Jacob's ladder. You're going to see some really brilliant, you know, works of art that show Jacob's ladder, ascending to this portion of the heavens. And uh, in Freemasonic tracing boards, it's really, really intriguing that you'll see this ladder sometimes literally going towards seven stars, right? And so this idea has existed seemingly for a very long time. And my understanding too, is that a lot of ancient cultures that lived in huts, right? Or circular homes, that the opening of their hut which allows, you know, smoke and heat to, uh, escape. That was basically something that they acknowledged that represented the Northern sky. And so we look at how people used to live and they're living in these simple circular homes and we don't really think much of it. We just think that, um, this is just how they started building their homes and it makes sense for whatever reason that they would do that. But in actuality, there's a cosmological sort of correspondence there that, um, their idea was that if the heavens revolves around this central point, and if we come from there and ascend there, this model or this framework is good enough for the gods, then it's good enough for us. And so therefore, their home has this circular sort of design, and there is this central fire, this central hearth. And so they were basically mirroring what was happening above. So as above, so below. And so, there's a lot of traditions that are kind of like this that mirror what's going on up in the sky. And um, there's a lot of fascinating sort of examples too of different groups that have this central sort of stone or a central world tree that they refer to or a mound in the middle of their community. And it was kind of likened to the pole star, actually. And so once again, there's this circular nature or even uh, like a concentric ringed sort of uh, framework for a village or for a town or what have you mirrors what's going on up there. And that this central point was the point of ascension. So if you had a family tree that you liken to a world tree, and let's just say you buried your ancestors ashes at the roots of this tree, this tree meant everything to you. And so uh, it was basically your Garden of Eden. It was your paradise. And that's another thing, too, is this idea that Eden or paradise uh, existed at the north at one point, And that at some point, we moved away from this polar understanding, from this polar wisdom. I think that this is possible on both like a physical migration sort of level, but also a psychological level, on a spiritual level. That we actually got away from the pole, from this mystic pole
0: tradition, from the polar tradition, and we became more solarized, you know, over time. There's a good example that just came to mind that can actually demonstrate that, like the Maypole, if it's true that the Maypole was in fact the Access Monday, which I think it's easy to accept that at one time it was meant to be the Access Monday, you can see what Christianity did with it right? They did exactly what you said with the circumpunk. They pulled it away from the North Star. They solarized it. And so the maple, here's something for you. I was born in 1963. When I was in grade school, we still did the maple where Mm. you have the little ribbons. I'm not kidding you. In my lifetime, we were still, that was commonly done in schools. Isn't that a big British thing? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, I think it's everywhere. Actually, I did a quick look up Here are the regional traditions, Malta, Germany, Austria, Hungary, all the Nordic countries, Belgium, United Kingdom, Ireland, United States is listing. Um, That's been a, a piece of culture. So think about the idea that we have no culture here. In my lifetime, there was a Maypole. I don't remember other than it was done in the spring. And the idea was a boy paired with a girl. That's all I remember being taught with it that you're awkward and you're being taught for the first time a boy is going to pair with a girl but you dance holding a ribbon connected to the top of the pole and you go over and under with each other but to finish Italy and Canada are the last two but i think it's all day long you could demonstrate that this was the axis mundi if that is true then what you were saying is demonstrated in the maypole that they they started to ditch anyone paying attention to the North Star.
1: Correct. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. For anyone who wants to do follow-up research with this, I have a couple of videos on my YouTube, and I go through my polar symbolism library, books that I think relate to all of you know what we're talking about today. But there's one book in particular that really um, took my research to the next level, and it's called The Night of the Gods by this fellow named John O'Neill. There's actually two volumes. It came out in the late 1800s. I was really fortunate enough to have a friend that just purchased an original copy on a whim. And when she saw it, she was like, Mario needs to read this. So she let me borrow it. And essentially what he goes through is he goes through all of you know these myths and traditions that actually relate to a polar understanding of things. And all of these different items and objects throughout history that relate to the North or relate to the world axis, including the pole, the pillar, the post, uh, there's a reason why we call it the post office um, postage, you know, um, and it relates to Mercury Hermes. I see Hermes as being related to this idea of sending messages back and forth. Um, but there's so many different examples that what I'm really starting to see now is essentially in the polarized world under a solar order, they emphasize two pillars, but they underemphasize the single pillar, and so in the uh, Kabbalah right you're gonna see uh the three pillars but it's the two pillars that you're gonna see in the tarot as an example um and so a lot of people have this understanding of two towers two pillars two trees things like that but to me this is more of a solar sort of uh, dynamic um the single pillar or the single tree or the single pole that tends to get underemphasized and I think it's you know by design, essentially. But yeah, absolutely. To your point, that is 100% the correspondence, in my opinion. Uh, In Voodoo, there's a central pole. There's many, many examples of this, of this single pillar. And what all sort of pillars and poles represent, it represents this bridge to the heavens, kind of like what I was talking about earlier. And so the idea is that the world axis symbolically separates the above and the below, but also connects the above and the below. So when you look at say the magician card which is number 1 that single vertical line that indicates 1 Roman numeral 1 that is the pole because it's a unified symbol it's a complete symbol it's a holistic symbol so even in uh, the runic system there's a letter it's called an Isa and so it's just one vertical straight line it represents ice that is symbolic of the pole as well of the world axis so in the magician card the magician is making a He's creating this as above, so below posture, right? So one hand is above and he's holding a wand. That wand is also symbolic of the world axis. It's the axis mundi, as is the scepter, as is the staff, as is the baton and so many other things, the sword. He's holding it upward and then he's pointing downward as well. He is symbolically representing the world axis as well. And that card corresponds with Mercury. Just like what I was saying earlier, there's so much... Uh, mercurial symbolism that's tied to all of this. So he is embodying uh, the world axis. We ourselves are symbolic of the world axis, in my opinion, as well. Our spine, you know, to me, when I think of Kundalini rising, when I think of the fire serpents going up the spine, it's not unlike the caduceus, but it's not unlike these souls taking a trip to the afterlife, you know, up the stairway to heaven, up the world axis. And so we're also called people, right? And so literally people. And so I'm starting to see, you know, pole symbolism and uh, a reference to the pole all over the place. Even um, the word pilgrimage I've been thinking about lately. To me, it's interesting that a pilgrimage is when you go to your holy land, right? Which is essentially um, emblematic or symbolic of going to this sacred center, right? The sacred center of your people, which you might consider to be, the origin place for your people or for your culture or, or spiritual sort of foundation. And so to go on a pilgrimage, to me, it's like you're going to the pillar, you're going to the central pillar. And so it's really, um, you know, etymologically, it's really all over the place. Um, once you have the eyes to see it, and once you start wrapping your head around it, which it sounds like you you already know uh, a fair bit about it, which is awesome.
0: Well. You know me, jack of many trades, master <laughs> of none, but this is one of the things, the box saga, uh, Rose just pinged me, the peephole pulled from uh, episode 191. We had a gentleman on who's now not with us, who was close to the final telling from a member of the family, the box saga. And one hmm. of the things that stuck with me was the, 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 actually one of the main reasons I covered it was the story that got told about what the Catholic church did. This has been done over and over, and this maypole thing we're talking about is no different. So they named things like the maypole. These are pagan, these are bad, and look what they've done. They've obscured where we live. They've separated uh, how we think about and interact with nature, and that's what paganization was meant to do. And the reason it was meant to do that is because truth resides in the creation, and once you get pulled off that, you're easier to screw with. It's easier to put, you know, ridiculous ideas in your head, which has been done over and over. But if you do even a Wikipedia uh, look up on the Maypole, they'll flat out tell you that the church did away with it. And again, when I was young, still in my schools, but we've got just a little bit of time before we got to wrap up our one. So I want to do the transition by getting into the power of seven and then the star card, which is what, 17? Is that is that number 17? Yep. 17. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Okay. So the power of seven. I mean, I actually think based on my research, it appears to me like the shape of the number seven actually goes back to Ursa Major. And so if you look at Ursa Major, um, you can kind of infer and see that there is this seven sort of shape. In ancient Egypt, there was a tool called the ads tool, and it looks like a seven. It's a woodworking tool. And they would use this tool as a substitute symbol for Ursa Major in a ritual called the opening of the mouth ritual. And so I made some videos about this a few years ago. And so uh, the number seven to me goes back to Ursa Major and it's seven stars. And so the number seven is really, it, it appears to be the number of this reality here, right? I mean, you're aware of all of these correspondences, I'm sure already. But of course, the seven traditional planets, the seven chakras, Right. Seven days of the week, seven colors of the rainbow, the musical scales, things of that sort. There are a number of traditions that involve circumambulating a central axis um, seven times. So if you go to Mecca for your pilgrimage, you're going to go around the Kaaba Cube seven times. There are Native American traditions where you're going around this central fire. And it's been uh, said publicly by some of these um, tribes that they are actually emulating Ursa Major going around the pole star. And so the number seven to me has a heavy, heavy correspondence with what's happening in the northern sky. And even in the star card, you'll see that many times, most of the time, actually, there's going to be this central star and there's going to be seven stars right around it. This is a northern correspondence. This is a northern reference, actually. So when people look at um, the moon card, obviously, there's no question what is being referenced here. Which moon? It's our moon. With the sun card, same thing. There's no question what sun this is. It's our sun. But for the star card, people have different ideas. A lot of people would say Sirius. I think it's actually more so related to the northern sky. So it, it has to do with the star of stars. It has to do with the pole star. And related to the box saga, just real quick, another thing that was mentioned in the book, in the main book uh, by Carl Borgen, is that the letter I, the lowercase I, is the world axis with the pole star on top of it. And so, to me, that's just really, really intriguing and fascinating. Um, but to leave this first hour, I, I just I want to mention the fact that the polar tradition and this stellar wisdom very much relates to geocentrism. So there's a lot of people who are questioning, you know, the traditional model that we've been given, the solar model, and they are more so, uh, you know, thinking geocentrically when it comes to cosmology and things like that. Um, But there's still this solarized sort of perspective. There's still this solarized sort of mentality. Um, My understanding is that this northern sort of information, uh, the world axis and axis mundi, that it really brings us closer to how I think earlier people who were more geocentric in nature, how they saw things and how they understood things. They saw it more holistically. And it has to do with everything,
0: you know, that we've already brought up today. Yeah. Jason, anything you want to get in? I think we're getting down to it here.
1: How far back are we talking that the tarot was designed and who made the decision to put those cards and name them and all that kind of stuff? That's an excellent question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish I knew the exact answer. To me, the oldest reference that I have for the tarot, which tends to be overlooked. I've asked so many tarot readers about this, and I I don't come across, I haven't come across anyone that has seen this, but there is actually, uh, it's called the Bambim Tablet of Isis in Egypt, and it's this huge work of art. And um, it's been said that actually every single little scene within this massive work of art is uh, a tarot card, and that the whole entire tarot system is actually encoded in this one large piece. What era of Egyptian history that comes from? Off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but this actually is shown in uh, the Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. If people want to check that out,
0: yeah, you can do a lookup for that. Bembeim, Bembine, B E M um, B I N E. I've looked at it. So before we wrap up this hour, we're going to come back in hour two and get into the tarot deck. So much information and ancient knowing that was associated with this. Uh, when I started to take an interest, of course, I had to choose a deck. And I remember when I was younger, the deck that kept coming into my hand was the Rider weight or the Rider deck. And I later did research. And from my point of view, the Rider deck has inversion, intentional inversions in it. So mm-hmm. what I did is I went to the Marseille deck. And as you say, it's not the oldest, but what it is, is old enough to have a connection to whatever it is we lost. And it's also in the still, and I think the four color printing, but that's where I gravitated towards the Marseille deck. Do you have any principal preference in the deck that you use when we talk on uh, Tarot next hour?
1: Yeah, I like to use three decks. Uh, When I'm teaching students about the Tarot, I'm usually flipping between the Marseille, the Rider-Waite, and then uh, the Thoth deck. Um, But any one of those decks, I'm happy to talk about.
0: Do you feel like there's any inversion in the Rider-Waite?
1: Yeah, I I think there's a lot of inversions all over the place (laughs) with, uh, with these decks.
0: Yeah, you can track that back to Crowley's gang, I think. But why don't you go ahead and tell folks where they can find you again. Give them your website. If you wish to give out an email, you can, or you can use the website as a contact.
1: Sure. So symbolicstudies.com is where people can find me. And if they want to email me, they can do so at uh, symbolicstudies at gmail.com.
0: Anything you want to get in before I wrap it up, Jason?
1: The circle with the dot in the middle, does that ever have any reference to Saturn? Yes, I think so. Actually, uh, there is a huge sort of interesting correspondence with the northern sky and Saturn as well. And so uh, I've made that sort of relationship. I think that it makes a lot of sense. It looks like Saturn from the aerial sort of perspective, right? Um, there's this understanding. Some people have put forward that the um, it, this is more of a, like an electric universe sort of concept or whatever, that Saturn may have been somehow related to the pole star and that it got kind of pushed out over time. I'm not saying that that's exactly where where I'm at, but I've heard people kind of mention this before. And certainly Saturn in and of itself, definitely, it needs to be understood. And I personally, I think Saturn is incredible. I I get a lot of value out of studying, you know, its symbolism and everything else. But even the rings, right? A a ring needs to have a central axis. A a ring needs to have a, a sacred center right? So a mandala needs to have a center, a wheel needs to have a center, there needs to be this axle there. And so uh, when I see Saturn, I I do think of polar symbolism, uh, because of, uh, you know, just the way it looks and everything else. But yeah, I I don't think that that's out of pocket or anything. I I think that there is a relationship to that too. I I tend to see more similarities than differences um, when it comes to symbolism. So I uh, I associate, you know, what, what's what been said before is an image is worth a thousand words. A symbol is worth a thousand images. So, you know, you can take any symbol like the circumpunct and you can relate it to so many different things. And so I think that's well put. And I think that's an interesting correspondence for sure.
0: There's actually a breadcrumb through the secret societies. I believe the Rosicrucians and even Rudolf Steiner about the idea of Saturn vis-a-vis how this place got created In that telling, the Saturn that is the beginning of this place is not the Saturn that we see, but there's still a relation. But as we close up, consider the circumpunct or the circle dot. Isn't that a creation shape just because of what it is? If I lay a compass on a piece of paper to create something, that dot in the center is where the little spike's going to go, and what I can draw with a compass is a circle, right? So in a way... To me, that's automatically going to relate that as some kind of a creative force shape. But with that, we're going to wrap up our one of episode five hundred and forty nine. Hour one is free to everybody at crow triple seven radio.com that is c-r-r-o-w seven 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 radio.com members know to log in for the two for the full two hour show and members get access to the forums members can create forums they get access to comments under every episode and free access to the two-hour film called shoot the moon which is basically all my telescope work with that we're gonna take a short break here prep up for hour two. And I hope to see everybody logged in as a member so they can enjoy hour two with us. There it is, man. Cheers.